on page 1038 in the Church Bibles, starting at verse 40. Luke 8. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her up by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. Uh, I feel a bit like Madonna with this on, so um, I hope you think I'm looking good. just quickly, for those who've been in the field, you can feel quite lonely and um, at times like you're fighting a, a battle. Really simple things make a big difference. Um, don't write to Lucy and others and say, I will pray for you, because that's what Christians say the whole time, and we know it's, you know it's like it's a Christian greeting, isn't it? It's not true. Write to her and say, I have prayed for you, because when someone writes to you and says, I have prayed for you, or anyone else, it really makes you feel good. You feel so lonely at times. People have written just those three words. I've been brought to tears on an email just from those words. Uh, anyway, that's that. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. As I said, I used to, I used to come here as a little scamp. Uh, three memories. One, um, at Sunday school, actually, I can still remember a story. Some lady told me at Sunday school about an angel rescuing someone. Well, I must have been seven or eight. And it encouraged my faith. 
I can still remember the story to this day. So don't underestimate the importance of work with young kids or how much they take in. Uh, secondly, I loved climbing up the steeple when I was seven years old. Uh, my parents were talking to people in a very boring way. And thirdly, the vicar's daughter when I was here, uh, I remember distinctly because she was the first girl I ever had a crush on. Um, so it's all very exciting for me to come back. I realize those things, three things are of no interest to you whatsoever. Um, this morning, we, just, just, um, just to sort of give you world mission, uh, amazing amount of mission going on with this church overseas and so on. And this morning we talked about overseas mission. Um, uh, and today I'm just going to sort of flip that around and talk about mission in the UK. If you like, my journey was overseas mission for nine years. Um, and then for the last seven years, I've been working with the homeless and the vulnerable and so on in this country. But very quickly, um, for those of you who missed it, I waffled on for ages. But two things I really tried to say was, look, uh, God cares about injustice. Uh, the God of anger is, is anger is born out of love. Because if someone beat up my child, I'd be angry with them for beating up my child. And that anger comes from my love for the child. So actually, if a God loves human beings, it's, it, it, from that love, uh, he has to then become angry when, when, when things are, uh, uh, you know, when injustices occur to his kids. So uh, if you feel angry or uh, don't, don't be ashamed of that sort of anger or don't sort of not understand it but actually covet it and realize that comes from a, or can, when it comes from a place of love for human beings, that's fine. And the second thing we really just talked about was go. Don't faff around. If you think God is calling you, don't wait forever waiting for a sign from heaven. Just go um, and crack on. If you're not sure, go anyway. And if it's not going to happen, he'll slam the door in, sh- in your face. So that was this morning. Today, just really trying to turn our attentions on um, UK mission. Because uh, I, I grew up, I went to a private school, actually. Uh, a bit embarrassed about that. But I did go to private school. Went to university and um, kind of then went overseas. And I came back to England, really, for the first time, age 31. And we um, didn't really understand England. And a lot of things uh, about the culture, what, what goes on, what, who are the poor in England? And was struck in my job how many safeguarding issues I, I you know, came across, how many times people were beaten up or abused or whatever it may be, in the very streets in which I lived. So my house was about a mile from my office. In between my office and the, and the house was my church. And um, the amount of stuff or the addictions I was dealing with or whatever it is and still deal with, in and around my church... Um, and they'll be in and around between here and Victoria as well, I'm sure. So w- this passage is trying to help us unpack that, and, and um, it's an incredible passage. Um, I won't go into all of it. I can't do justice to all of it. Um, but I'm sure you've heard it many times before. It's in three of the four Gospels. It's very exciting. Uh, I'll just go over it again. So here's Jesus. He's walking around. This dude, this rich guy, rich, powerful ruler. Is he rich? Oh, he's a ruler, R- ruler of the synagogue, comes to him and says, right, can you help me? So this is really important now. This is a big emergency. His daughter is dying. The hearts are thumping now. It's an adrenaline-fueled uh, moment. Uh, they're off. It's exciting because is Jesus going to heal this person? The crowds are following all in it. This is kind of everyone's talking about it. And then he stops. And why did he stop? Because someone touched him. Well, of course you fool people are touching you. That's what people said. I love that. Twice in this passage, people jeered at Jesus. I love that because um, people often do that to me. So, um, so here it is. He stops. And why did he stop? Uh, he stopped for a, a female over a man. And it turns out this woman had come... One of the other passages, I think it says she'd walked 12 miles just to touch Jesus. Uh, an incredible faith she had. So the miracle here wasn't so much the miracle Jesus performed. It was actually the miracle of her faith. Um, here was a woman, 
uh, who is ashamed, really, who's ostracized from society. She'd been bleeding for 12 years in the, in the culture at the time, the religious culture, the religious laws of the Jews. If you are menstruating, if you're bleeding, you're not allowed to engage with human activity. You have to be sort of shunned away on the side. Everywhere you sit has, it now becomes unclean. If you touch someone, they become unclean. So while you are bleeding, you are out of mainstream society. If you've been bleeding for 12 years, you are totally ostracized. You are dirty, you are unclean, you are uh, shameful and all these things. Wow. And this lady dared to touch Jesus. That's incredible, isn't it? And Jesus then stopped. Who touched me? Now, she was incredibly brave because she has to come forward and she admitted that she touched him in front of hundreds of people. This is a major sin. Is she going to get stoned? She's going to get what? She's going to get a massive beating up here. How would Jesus respond? Um, actually, his response was incredibly powerful. And she would have felt absolutely, it says here, trembling. All three passages, I think, say she was trembling or in fear or something like that. Um, and she told why. And then his response totally flipped everyone on the head. He said, daughter, associating himself with her, um, making himself, identifying with her. I am, uh, you are one of mine. Your faith is healed. He praised her publicly. So whereas she was feeling great shame and everything else, he lifted her up, praising her, go in peace. And then he goes on and heals uh, Jairus' daughter. So um, just some interesting things here. Um, in terms of Jesus' priorities, and it, it, the reason I, I go into this is, if these were Jesus' priorities, they need to become our priorities. He prioritized a woman over a man. He prioritized um, uh, someone who's ostracized from religious society over a religious ruler. Uh, he, if you think about uh, Jairus, he would have not only was he a religious leader, he would also have economic and social influence. This lady would have had neither economic nor social influence. She, you can't engage in economic activity if you can't engage with people. So she would have had none of those things. Uh, and also it was a chronic illness over a critical illness. So if I had been in, the, in Jesus' shoes, I would have prioritized the critical over the chronic. And I, I'm being honest now, I would have said, hang on, I'm trying to do a ministry here. If I, if I scratch his back... Okay, he's powerful, he's influential, he's religious. Yeah, I'm in a Christian ministry. Yeah, the truth is, very quickly, my mind would have prioritized him because I think I'm going to get some payback off this. There'll be some money, you know, a few months down the line, some influence, some preaching tour or something like that will come on the back of this. So he turned all that around. So what was in him? What was his uh, belief system? What, 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 all, our, all our decisions are actually made, re- reflect our inner priorities. What were his inner priorities that he would prioritize this lady over um, this man, this uh, social, religious, economic outcast over this man? Well, there are a few things. I just want to focus on one um, and then this is, I think, we can't really, we don't fully know why. But if your priority is to release the oppressed, if your priority is one of justice, serving injustice, uh, then you are naturally drawn to those who are oppressed, aren't you? If, you're, if, you're, if you really want to get to the top of your career, you're going to hang out with those who are going to help you get up the career. We, we all know that. We all understand that. If, if you're what you're passionate about, if you want, want to see is a world which is more just, then you focus on those who are unjust. And you're, what you're excited by is not advancing your own career, but trying to release her from oppression or captivity. She was oppressed by her, her, her bleeding. Um, so Jesus would have understood that this prophecy from Isaiah 42 was about him. Justice is here to bring justice to the nations. In, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter until he brings justice here on earth. Uh, now, if you think about a woman who is bleeding at this time, they suffered injustice 
for that because actually the way the whole social and economic setup is, while you are bleeding, you can't engage with education, you can't engage with economic activity, you can't engage. So you're 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 being discriminated against. Um, and sometimes what happens is people get the letter of the law absolutely right, but f- totally misunderstand the spirit of the law. So religiously, to the letter of the law, these people are absolutely right. But what they've done by following the letter of the law, they totally misunderstood God's heart and God's spirit of the law, and in so doing had created a kind of oppressive system against women that were bleeding. So Jesus then heals this woman. He, touched, he allows himself to be touched. When he is touched, he becomes unclean under those religious laws. And this system of injustice now, if you think about it, how many women now in our country, in most countries, don't go to school when they're menstruating or don't go to work when they're menstruating? No, actually now it's normal for women to engage in activities. At the time, 2,000 years ago, this was an unjust system. Um, what he did, having been touched, is he then walked into the house of one of the religious rulers of the, of the area. So he's now making the entire household unclean. Does that make sense? And what he's doing is he's just very subtly, he's not making a big thing of it, he's just challenging their discriminatory views on and prejudices. And he's very subtly, and then he touches the daughter and makes her clean and heals her. And this um, injustice, he's just beginning the work of Isaiah 42. He will bring forth justice. He will not falter until he brings justice here on earth. And from that story, recorded in three Gospels, now women have been released from oppression. Slowly and steadily and slowly and steadily. You still hear it, by the way. I heard it recently of Uganda. Women and teenagers don't go to school because they don't have sanitary towels. They, 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 during that, you know, whatever it is, one week a month, that they can't go because they don't have the, the sanitary facilities to engage in school. So it's still an ongoing work of injustice that needs to be done. And it will continue to be done because we're told it in Isaiah 42. Does that make sense? If our hearts are ones... Of injustice, our priorities will reflect that. If we really care about those who are unjust, who you spend your time with, where you spend your money will reflect a compassion and a heart for those who suffer oppression. Secondly, I just put this out here. Um, Jesus, if we want our attitudes and our heart and everything else to be like that of Jesus, prioritize the non religious over the religious. He prioritized the non-religious over the religious. Who do you and who do we spend our time with? I recently sat down with a, a minister or pastor of a Baptist church who'd been uh, leading churches for 10 years. And um, he'd recently gone into the local prison and he'd done a grief counseling course with the prisoners. A 10-week course, one day a week, I think it was, or one day a month or something. And he said to me, Ed, in 10, 10 sessions, 10 days' work in prison, I had more real, honest, in-depth conversations that I've had in 10 years of leading churches full of Christians. And um, Jesus often hung out with sinners. And I'm coming to the conclusion, the reason he did that is he preferred their company. And the reason he did that is very often you get your best conversations are with people who are broken or on the edge because they're just a bit more honest than us Christians who kind of know what answers to give and say, yeah, no, God's doing great. I'm doing all right. My, my, my barber side's going fine, thanks. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. That's what we talk about, isn't it? If you want to have real in-depth conversations... Prioritise those who are on the edge. Um, guy came in on Friday who uh, we'd been in one of our houses for a year. Uh, he'd done prison at least two or three times, always uh, drink-related violence. Um, he was in our house. We engaged with him. Uh, he went back to prison. He beat a bloke up. 
Uh, he's a lovely guy, actually, except when he has, you know, has a drink and then he just beats people up. Anyway, uh, within um, three days, I happened to be in prison. I went and visited him. I hung around for 40 minutes in that prison to try and get uh, time with him. In that conversation I had, I tell you what, was the best conversation I've had all year, bar none by a yard mile. It was the most natural conversation I've ever had, and we talked deeply. We talked about God and Jesus and forgiveness and grace, and it was just like I was talking about the football. It just, I didn't force it. I didn't contrive it. It was just a wonderful conversation. I hope, I don't know whether he felt better about it, but I saw him on Friday. First thing he said to me, he'd been out a week, and he said, Ed, within two sentences, he said, Ed, thanks for coming to visit me, and his tears welled in his eyes. So easy, isn't it? Just to wait 40 minutes to see someone. Um, but for me... I grew in Christ through that conversation because I walked out of there on, on, on cloud nine. Matthew 25, Jesus says, I'm there in prison. So if you go into prison or if you go into those on the edges, you will meet Christ and you will grow through that. Um, if you want to grow in Christ, spend time with those on the outside of religion, of religious circles. Um, and so there's a great theme of Jesus' life where he, you know, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, the lost uh, elder son. He's calling us, he's teaching us, he's telling us to get out, of, get out of our holy huddles, get out into the streets, do the stuff, and get into the lives of people. So that's really the end of my first point. Just analyse how you spend your time and how you spend your money. Um, just jot it up last week, last month, last year. Um, uh, for some of you working in really tough environments, your church is your place where you need to re-energize but it shouldn't shouldn't be at the the extent of your social club um, if we want to follow Jesus Um, so that's the first point really how do we prioritize our time are our values are our decisions are they reflecting those of Jesus's are we reflecting those and if they are we'll be focusing and prioritizing the oppressed prioritizing the non-religious second point is just to be encouraged by this woman Um, she was an absolute giant of faith. Everyone else had shunned her for 12 years. She'd spent all her money on doctors. Another um, version tells us this. Um, every, she must have been praying for 12 years as well. And every prayer rejected. Every time she goes to the doctor, the last penny, Lord, you know, doctor, please make me better. Lord, I'm praying. As a, you know, it doesn't work. She's still bleeding. She hears about this healer. I'm going to walk 12 miles. And I'm going to reach out my hand in front of everyone. I'm going to be prepared to be totally humiliated. Because I want to touch Jesus. Um, And she was the one of the hundreds milling around Jesus. She was the one that got the miracle. And she was the one who Jesus praised. And she's the one that still gets talked about 2,000 years on. So where do you want to be? Um, What are those things that you've given up praying for? Who are those people you've stopped praying for? What are those healings that you've... If you're honest, you, you, you doubt, doubts are normal. This woman would have had doubts. I have no doubt about that. She would have doubted that Jesus... But she, she kept walking through. She walked those 12 miles. And I bet as she was walking those 12 miles, she thought, flipping it, what am I doing? This ain't going to come to nothing, right? Um, but she carried on walking through those doubts. Um, so I won't dwell on it, but in, stretch your faith muscles. Um, who's that person you really want to come to faith? You've been praying for for ages. What's that healing? Who's that person God's put on your heart to pray for? Keep praying for them. Um, so the first point really was um, analyze how and who you spend your time with and your money on and uh, try and make it more Christ-like. Um, second point is stretch, stretch your faith muscles. And the third point is the one I really want to dwell on. It's harder for me to explain, but it's this difference between guilt and shame because I think this is really interesting. 
Um, what is the difference between guilt and shame? And how did Jesus minister into the guilty and how did he minister into those who suffer shame? They're, they're, it's, a, it's, it's a really hard question. I won't do it justice here. I'm not pretending to. Uh, very, very quickly, um, it doesn't fully work. It. Guilt, if I do something wrong, if I come and smack Charles, I'm guilty. I have done a sin. I come and confess my sins. Jesus saves me from my sins because of what he did on the cross. I am then free. I'm white. I'm cleaned. I'm like the clouds have gone, all that sort of thing. That's quite a simple mechanism for us all to understand, and it's very well drilled into us. I suspect you all understand that. What happens if Charles smacks me in the face? repeatedly I've done nothing wrong and yet I'm suffering actually quite a deep inner shame does that make sense um, where Lucy's going she's dealing with people that have been sexually abused uh, it's lovely to think you know these words rescue come in rescue this person oh it's wonderful take her out of this brothel and put her in a nice house everything will be fine it's not that simple we work with former sex workers it is hard work why? They're suffering an inner shame. They, they become to believe that they, men can do what they like to them. It's an inner shame. This woman here had done nothing wrong, and yet she would have felt great shame. Society ostracized her, stigmatized her. Um, she had to live in silence. She didn't want to talk about these things. How did Jesus minister her to her? Because what he didn't do is say, come, say this prayer, and you'll be sorted. You should mean the prayer we all know. And as evangelical Christians, we've heard evangelists dozens of times saying, so-and-so, I said, follow this prayer, and they follow the prayer. Jesus, come into my life, forgive me for my sins, uh, and, you know, sort it. Um, which I 100% fully endorse, you know, 100% behind that. But Jesus didn't always say that to people. He, he had different messages to different people. So if you can comp- compare the paralytic man who came down through the roof, he looked at Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say that to the bleeding woman. And so this woman, yes, of course she'd sinned. Of course we've all sinned. But her main ailment, she hadn't done anything wrong. She'd suffered shame and stigma and and all this stuff. And with shame and stigma almost always comes silence, by the way. Those who suffer abuse, it's a very hard thing for them to talk about it. And they will cover it up and they don't talk about it. And and when I was studying this and thinking about this passage, Lord, why did you get her to admit in front of everyone she had to bleed for 12 years. That's, a, that's, an embarrassing, that's embarrassing to admit in any culture, isn't it? You, you know, um, why did you do that, Lord? I think, as I thought about it, actually talking about the shame heals you uh, from it. Does that make sense? Actually, if you're suffering shame, or if someone is suffering shame, or the people you're working with suffering shame, in an appropriate, sensitive way, when you start talking about it, actually that frees you from it. Um, and speaking about it brings inner healing Um, this concept so I guess the reason I'm focusing on this is my experience coming back to this country working with the poor which is if we can use that phrase in this country as a middle class kind of white middle class guy was uh, two root causes we say uh, of the poverty of everyone that ends up in our houses relational poverty from birth mostly they had a deficit of love and deficit of positive relationships in their lives. Dad abused them. Dad wasn't there. Blah, 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 blah. The guy I just told you about, after working with him for 10 months, we sat down and we finally asked him about his father. And he doesn't know his father, but he thinks he was conceived in a rape. Um, 
Now, what he's done all his life, he's carried this shame. Because <laughs> he, he hasn't done anything wrong, but he's carried a shame because he doesn't know he's a bastard. And he doesn't, do, do you see what I mean? And, and he's carried a shame with him. And that's so often at the root cause of those people who are injecting themselves as heroin between here and King's Cross. And those people who are on the streets, those people who allow themselves to get abused because their self-esteem is low because they never had the kind of care and input and love that, that you or I had. Um, and if you want to find examples of it in the Bible, 2 Samuel 19, Tamar, she'd done nothing wrong. And you'll see she was manipulated by a man, actually her half-brother, uh, incest still carries on in this country today. She was manipulated by her half-brother into his bedroom. He then verbally abused her, physically uh, abused her, and sexually assaulted, raped her. Um, and then, I can't remember how he finished it, but it finished. And it says this in the Bible, it says that she was desolate for years and felt a great shame. She'd done nothing wrong. <laughs> um, people who suffer shame struggle to accept themselves. Um, and it stifles and suppresses who they really are. And it, it means, I, I don't know, it's easy, you come to church, you judge. My, my, my impression here is that perhaps 50% of people have done well at school, they've kind of, you know, achieved, and they've, they've got university degrees, and, and so on and so forth. And you, that's great, that's exactly how God wants you to express yourself. Your, your talents and gifts, you come out. If you're suffering shame, it suppresses all that within you. And if we want to serve the poor here in this country... Um, this is the issue I think you, you find yourself dealing with, is a shame. So our understanding of it needs, needs, needs to be good. So if, if someone has been abused all their lives and they come through this door and we tell them you're a sinner, well, they already know that. They're already pretty, pretty crap about themselves anyway, actually. And all we're doing is kind of compounding this sense of, oh, I'm rubbish. I'm, they already feel that. Jesus built the person up and said, your faith is well done. Your faith has healed you. Um, tell you a story about a lass who I met uh, just in a middle class social setting recently um, got chatting to her she actually came from a uh, I think it was Hindu background uh, mother and father Hindu uh, Indian descent moved to the UK anyway domestic violence throughout her family mother beaten brothers beaten she was beaten every time she hears the sound of a buckle now it kind of sends shivers down her spine um, and so I got talking to her about it and um, yeah the, the long, there were long-term impacts to her from growing up in that sort of environment. Um, and I, I got taunted for one year, and I saw her again the same sort of party a year later, and we, we carried on chatting. And I, I was, now began to think about this a bit more, and I said, well, tell me about how you came to faith, because she's come to faith now, and so have her brothers, and so is her mother, by the way. Um, and um, I said, Tara, what was your, your conversion experience like? Because I was thinking about this passage. And what she didn't say was, yeah, I knew my sins were forgiven. She said, actually, I've been to church a few times, blah, blah, blah. I was alone in my room, and it was like this great big stream of love, this river of love flowed through me, through my brain, through my body, through my veins, and I felt this enormous peace. That was her conversion experience. Um, she said, actually, the forgiveness thing, I kind of understand intellectually, but that came a few months later, and I still struggle with that, but this sense of God giving me a peace is my main way I relate to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Matthew 8, he says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So when we're ministering to people who suffer shame, actually, I would be thinking, right, well, actually, um, understand that they already know pretty deeply that they're sinners. They feel a shame. 
there's a stigma inside them that's, that's blocking them. And for them to know that God loves them is the most powerful thing. For them to know that uh, they've done really well just through walking through that door, just through being there, they've done really well. And what we're trying to speak into their lives is one of peace. The intellectual, the understanding of forgiveness and that, that can come later. Um, but Jesus didn't always convert people the same way. If you think of how did he convert that person on the cross next to him, he just said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say your sins are forgiven. Do, 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 do you see what I mean? Um, and it's about recognizing people come to faith in different ways. Um, um, so I'll just end again. How we talk about the cross and how we talk about Jesus in this context is important because what you emphasize of the cross would be important. And I think, do you know what? Christ was abused as well. He was beaten. He was spat at. He was jeered at. He was uh, humiliated by sort of public nudity. Uh, he was uh, violated. His body was torn to shreds. Um, and yet he rose again. He came to new life. There is new life in Christ. The power of resurrection in him it can also be in us and means that we're not tied to our past. We still have the scars from the past. And, you know, it's in our sides and we still carry those. Um, but actually in Christ there is new life. And at the convert, uh, 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 as we minister to people who suffer shame, emphasizing, do you know what? Christ has been through that as well. Uh, I, I have a hunch, by the way, Christ would have suffered sexual abuse. It's not in the Bible anyway, but I just have this hunch. He suffered everything else I've ever met. He was a refugee, all this stuff. I have a hunch he would have somehow suffered it. Um, it's just not in the Bible. but um, Christ understands what it's like to suffer. He identifies with your shame. He identifies what it's like to be publicly humiliated, and he conquered that. He came out through the grave, and we emphasize that. Um, so that really is my message. Um, three things just from this morning or just from this morning you know understand God's uh, love will automatically end in a sort of anger and injustice a uh, if God feels he's, you're being called to somewhere go, go for it um, as we analyze our lives as we go out from here what are our priorities are we prioritizing the oppressed the non-religious um, women I still think women across the world and in this country still suffer more than men that's my opinion uh, one in four women in this country still suffer abuse at one stage in their life. Um, do we have the faith of that woman who, uh, who persevered, stretched out her hand, walked 12 miles to get the miracle? And um, as we meet people who suffer shame, how do we minister to them? And on that note, I'll end. Thank you very much. When someone shares from Scripture and from their experience, the question is, what, Lord, are you saying to me? What do you want me to do after hearing your word? Because this is not entertainment. It's the living God who speaks to us. And he's saying different things to different people. And what I'm going to do now is just have a moment of quiet as we reflect on that for ourselves. It may be one sentence. It may be an example. And then in a little moment, we're going to pray, and I'm going to say a bit more about that in a minute. But first of all, just ask yourself that straightforward question. What is God saying to me?